Hi everyone, Taylor here. You know, at our podcast, we all wanting to center the perspectives of people who look like us and women, as well as marginalized people who has been historically pushed to the sideline of conversations. So, if you haven't already, we welcome you to engage through our Instagram or Facebook page by leaving a comment, or simply support us by subscribe our podcast from Acast, Apple, Spotify, and Google. It will make a huge differences to increase our visibility and centering the conversations we have from our pod. Enjoy today's episode. Hey, y'all! This is Jessie too. Hi, this is Helen. And you're listening to Asian Bitches Down Under, where it is towards the middle of June,、mm-hmm. I believe, and the weather is getting colder. I believe last week we had the coldest, coldest day, day in winter. Do we have that discussion? I feel yeah, like we did. Coldest day in went, the past twenty-five years, I think. Yeah, yeah, said, and I yeah. and I went swimming. <laughs> yeah, you went swimming on in a、Fiji? crazy yeah. day. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, crazy. Well, um, the long weekend, this long weekend, um, I actually, me and my partner visited Helen because we went to the entrance,、mm-hmm. and um, he actually went into the water. He he swam through over across the、uh, entrance, and then he later because it's quite shallow. Yeah. And then later we saw a sign that said, "Do, Do not, not swim." swim. <laughs> It's so funny.、Oh、we have the tendency of doing the opposite when there's whenever there's a sign, do not touch, and then you see. Yeah, Helen. Well,、stuff. Helen does that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we always want to do what we're told not to do. Yeah. Um. So the biggest news, Helen, that um we have, Helen and I both have been discussing this week is um the voting. Of a very exclusive club in in Sydney,、mm-hmm. in the middle of Sydney, and、um, it's called the Australian Club. And historically, it has only ever allowed men to be members. Yeah.、Um, and women can only enter as guests.、Uh-huh. So on Tuesday, they had a vote to try and change the laws. So Helen, what was the verdict? Um. So this club, who which was founded in eighteen thirty eight, located in Sydney at. 165 Macquarie Street, which is a very prestige financial district. The verdict was: Let me have a look. Well, they said they said that. Okay, so around 700 members attend a special general meeting of the club to vote on a proposal to allow women to join the club. 75 percent of attending members needed to vote for the proposal in order to receive their approval. The proposal was defeated when sixty-two percent voted against allowing women to join. So there you go. So most of the men there said no. Yeah, <laughs> I think we need to give、um, our listeners,、um, for those who are overseas, like a perspective about what is this club about. Basically, it's a private club for very upper class, privileged people to join. Yeah, I E Y. Yeah, and I E Y, of course.、Um, on the Wikipedia page, it says that it is the oldest gentleman club in the Southern Hemisphere. It enjoys reciprocal arrangement with other clubs of its type, including the Melbourne Club, the Bowdoes and Brooks in London, the Pacific Union Club in San Francisco, California Club in L A, Union Club, and Nickelbrook Club of New York. So according to its website, there's very little information about the club. Like if you look, at, if you don't know anything about it, if you look it up、yeah. their website, it just says 
the, on the information panel, it says that the club provides excellent dining facility, ensuite bedrooms, an apartment, a fully equipped gym, and on level seven of the building in which the clubhouse is located, are the first-rate business facility, which members and resident guests can access. So you feel like it's like a hotel. Well, yeah, I think um, the well, it's precisely the fact that it doesn't have a lot of public information. Mm-hmm. That makes me think that it's probably like very much like uh, the masonaries or very dodgy um, the masons <laughs> or, or like a, a, like a cult or something. Yeah, yeah. Like I think that the reason why the men were very much against including women was because is because a lot of the members are over fifty. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're boomers. Um, they came from. They grew up in a generation um, at a time. Like they were formed as human people, um, where their their maleness, their gender, mm-hmm. very much is so much part of their identity, and 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 what comes through, what comes as part a part of that package, of being a man and identifying as a man, a straight cis man, is um, the rewards granted to you in terms of your entitlement and your expectation of. Need of expectation of exerting your perspective of what it means to be a man from that generation, mm-hmm. and 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 what it means to be a man from that generation is ostensibly um, the diminishment, ridicule, um, ownership of women um, to treat a woman in a certain way. Where like today, like if you put a the average Australian man in his sixties against the average Australian man in in his twenties, the twenty year old obviously very very overwhelmingly would be way more progressive mm-hmm. in every sense. Um, and I guess in this perspective respect, we're talking about their views on women. And I feel like um, yesterday I was talking to around the writer about how like she was asking me whether men are changing, like men's views on women are changing. And I said to her, well, um, I think the next generation of men are doing much better. Like mm-hmm. I feel like men in their 20s um, see me as a woman um sorry see me as a full human being Mm -hmm. whereas like um much older men tend to treat me differently based on the fact of my gender Mm -hmm. yeah and so like the reason why these men don't want uh, females to become members is because they need that for them it's a safe space for them to just like say whatever they want about women Mm -hmm. and to do whatever it is they do um at the expense of respecting a woman's humanity yeah, I agree. I totally agree of what you just said. Um, in the exchange of our text message throughout the week, um, I said that essentially they want to maintain a quote-unquote safe space, you know, mm. Um, mm. for the white privileged male to sh- share like sexist, racist or even homophobic yeah. jokes um, yeah. because yeah. they know that within their own age group, they tend to be have a very similar mind like it mind so they yes, have exactly uh, that's the space for them to talk about how to oppress others to exploit others yeah. and to maintain yeah. the status quo status exactly yeah. where where they can actually enjoy themselves because they have people around them that validate whatever it is they believe yeah whereas if mm. they say they have this kind of events in in a city new town and someone will probably call them out if they made a yeah, racist exactly. joke. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, yeah, exactly. Create the uncomfortable for them. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. What I found funny was that one of the quote from a member that was asked, mm. 
by Sydney Morning Herald journalist. He said that my wife is happy that there are no other women here, claimed one younger member <sighs> speaking against woman members. I, I just thought that's just really bizarre. It's, I think that's Obviously, just an excuse. That it's just an excuse. Well, I don't really think that he, his wife... So basically, his wife is saying, um, I'm glad you're hanging out with other boys because I know you're not having an affair. That's just pathetic. Basically. That's just... I, well, I, I'm yeah. speechless about that kind of comments. Because it's so, also so stupid that, that the wife assumes he doesn't have sex with men. That's just yeah. like deeply stupid. That's, of, that's one of the reasons. assume that, yeah. And how would you know that he's not having an affair elsewhere? There's, it's not the only place he will be going to, you know. And to assume that your husband only has sex with uh, women is really funny. <laughs> it's very funny. So it's so presumptuous. So, so heteronormative, seriously. Exactly. Um, I remember a few years ago, Helen, I was living with a dear friend of mine in her 50s and she had really interesting friends come in and out of um, her house. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all artists in their um, like older age, I guess, mm-hmm. more advanced age artists. And artists in their 40s, 50s and 60s are... Um, very, very um, interesting people. Um, I don't mean that in a pejorative way. Um, and one time I met this guy who was gay and he was in his 40s and we were talking about um, just, you know, what he was up to that week and he sat down with my friend and we, we were just chatting and he said that he was on Grindr mm-hmm. um, back when Grindr, this is about eight years ago, 10, so 10 maybe even 10, when, yeah, Grindr was quite new and um, it was like he was saying that most of the men he hooks up with are actually married men Ooh. who just like lead a totally different uh-huh. life. Yeah, and, that happens. And they just have they have an escape through him, okay. you know. And like they 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 have wives and children back home that like, and the wives and children have no idea that the husband's gay. You know, or maybe yeah, the bi. husband is no. Well, no, I I don't like labels. Okay. I, I just like some straight people have sex with men mm-hmm. like some straight men and and they just deny any sort of queerness on their part because they're so terrified of what that might possibly erupt in their sense of identity and how people see so them and how, how it erupts yeah. on their yeah. own like the actual life that they yeah you know hang around with i actually think perhaps though that the men in the australian club are probably all deeply like mostly most of them are probably quite homophobic mm-hmm. so sex amongst each other probably wouldn't be so common i'd say i'm not sure i'm just thinking like that those men from that generation they probably want to have sex with other men because men are beautiful mm-hmm. but um they just decide not to because they're so deeply homophobic mm-hmm. that's true uh, another yeah. thing that really troubles me is that we're talking about the members of this club who are in the very certain professions that earns a very high income. Yeah. So their wealth is all the way up there. And we have, uh, you see the members include past prime ministers, mm. lawyers, uh, Supreme Court judges. I think most of them would be barristers. <laughs> yeah, I, I barristers, was guessing like 80% of, of the um, 80% of the members would be barristers. <laughs> uh-huh. At the same time, the club has claimed $2 million on JobKeeper last year when oh, right. Australia had into a pandemic and the government was subsidising business owners through JobKeeper 
gatekeeper to maintain their employees. But I don't know how does this work within this club because、yeah. do they like how many employees do they have in this yeah. club that、yeah. they can claim up to two million dollars jobkeeper?、Mm. And、mm. on on top of that, there was a serve. There was a actually there was. Uh, a finding of that the club has actually had a lot more surplus in the previous year, so financially they're stable enough to maintain a lot of their、um, employees. But then again, that that's a loophole in the jobkeeper or the business. Mm. Mm, If mm. they say that they're losing a certain percentage of their business, they will be able to claim it.、Mm. I do think that this kind of club really creates a bigger gap in the wealth disparity. And also social disparities as well, and I don't know what kind of pro- productivity does this kind of club constitute for the society. Like, there's no what's、well, a safe, <laughs> positive things for the social. Well, like we said, it's a it's a so it's basically like um, you know how golf clubs yeah are really exclusive,、mm-hmm. um, not publicly exclusive, but exclusive in the sense that what is required to become a member, um. Is are、uh, like the criteria automatically bars a lot of people.、Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of golf clubs and say, for instance, the Bondi Icebergs, which、yes. is the sort of pool by the side of、um, Bondi Beach, where like in order to become a member, you actually have to have a existing member. Um, refer you. I think you have to have two existing members,、yeah. like put in a reference for you,、mm-hmm. and 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 then you also have to complete some sort of like timed swim, and you have to swim like two hundred meters within like two minutes or、oh, something、wow. like that. Oh wow! Okay. So already like those two things, like one, a lot of on people don't know how to swim,、uh-huh. right?、Yeah. Because like they didn't grow up having swimming lessons, and number two.、Um, I don't know anyone who is a member of the icebergs. Like you need <laughs> to know because we、people. are not in that social because we didn't go to that we, social we standard. Yeah. Well, we didn't go to private private schools, schools and yeah, shit like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, apart from the gender issue,、um, you don't see a lot of Asian faces as well. If you just look at the names of the members,、uh, yeah. this is from the SMH again. It says that. The mostly Howard Hughes, Packer, Temple. <laughs> you don't see any non-Anglo-Saxon surnames like Lees or Zans. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, all the names you've mentioned were like pri- big, big names in、mm-hmm. Australia's political sphere. But also, apparently, I heard that、um, they didn't want, they didn't like Asians, or they were quite strict about Asian membership.、Mm-hmm. So they're a bunch of racist. Yeah. 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 Whiteness is built upon diminishing every、oh, other. That's right. Otherness. Otherness. J- just like masculinity is built on diminishing femininity. femininity. Honestly,、right. yeah. Honestly, yeah. I honestly believe that. All right. Well, we're gonna take. Yeah, we're gonna take a break, and we're gonna come back and talk about the things that we watched and read this week. Okay, guys. So we're back.、Um, Helen celebrated a birthday last week, so I took her to see American Psycho the musical. musical at the Opera House. Yay! Helen, yeah, Helen and I sat in the front row, so we kind of had to like look up a lot. And I, I feel like 
you could appreciate you could have appreciated the the sort of symmet- symmetry of the choreography of the dancers much better if you were sitting towards the towards back. back nevertheless yeah. it was really really good yeah. i i really liked it it was so clever the way that they took a very cult like um juggernaut of a book and Mm -hmm. something about really deep awful um serious issues and turned it into this campy celebration of like i don't know like i don't i i still don't really know fundamentally what the story is about because it's about so many different things yeah right what what did you think helen i thought it was really really good it was really brilliant how the way that uh initially that we thought we're gonna see a very small production um, because it was held in the playhouse rather than the concert hall of mm. Opera House. So mm-hmm. it's a rather smaller theatre and it had a seating of a lot more smaller amount of people compared to the concert hall. And it was packed as well. So I was expecting to be a very, like a small production, not a very glamorous one, but it turns out that mm. they used on the stage, they had like a turntable where yeah. they can turn the the turntable and they change the scenes and you have the, what do you call them, performers walking mm. through mm. within doors. The, yeah, within the doors. Yeah. So I feel like there's a bit of like an expanse of the space rather mm. than the smallest. It's very clever. Yeah, rather than the smallest of the stage. And the music was very well done. Like when I... Yeah, I liked it. When I heard that, okay, they're turning American Psycho into a musical. It was just like, okay, how are they going to do that? But they actually did it very well and intertwined Mm. with a couple of songs from the 80s and the 90s. Mm. Yeah, that was very clever. Helen's favourite kind of era of music. Sting. (laughs) So it was very nostalgic. Yeah, it was very good. Yeah, Yeah. And all the performers were great. Oh, scene I, and dance the, I think, and the I know they're dialogue. extraordinary. Yeah, extraordinary. Good. Yeah, yeah. And I loved how. Well, spoiler alert. Um, I love how they had the um, how how they remodeled the the what the murdering scene with the yeah. plastic sheet dropped down, uh, and, and then, then just like a sleuth of um, sort of red dye being splattered across. Yeah. Yeah. The sheet. It was very clever. So remodeled yeah. what happened in the what happened in the film. So that was really yeah. good. Yeah. What was... book would you like to see turn into a musical? Um I haven't thought about that. Have what you... about breast and eggs? <laughs> breast and eggs would be interesting, I think. Yeah. yeah. From the books that we've read, I think it's a very deeply satirical way of yeah. how they turn American Psycho into a musical. So if in the same format, you need really need to find a a work of art or the work of literature that is something so heavy that mm. is really out of your expectation to be turned into like a um musical. Mm. Yeah, I haven't thought about it. Yeah, I haven't thought about it really. That's as an well. interesting question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think. I can't even think of a favorite book to be honest. Like I don't really have a favorite fiction mm-hmm. work of fiction. Mm-hmm. Maybe um maybe my year of rest and relaxation by Otessa Moshfeg. Mm-hmm. That would be an amazing musical because like it would just be completely set in her apartment. Uh-huh. So it'll be it might lend itself very well to a musical. 
Um, following on from that, uh, I saw uh, an extraordinary movie last night with Sal. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Sal. Um, and it's called Herself. And um, it's a movie where basically a woman who is, is trying to escape her a domestically abusive husband um, and takes her two young daughters and trying to scrape it's kind of like go get by from doing two jobs mm-hmm. one as a cleaner for a wealthy doctor and then another as a like working at a pub and she finds it very difficult to try and pi- find some place safe to rent um with the low income that she's getting mm-hmm. and so she one day decides to try and build a house because online she 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 sees that you can actually try and build a house if you've just got a plot of land for like 35,000 pounds mm-hmm. and the movie just basically shows her trying to um build this house with the help of some new and old friends yep. and it just it broke me so much because it was so sad oh like i i was so teary for so much of the film it's it was incredible um yeah so um when it comes out i think i went to an advanced screening uh-huh. so when it comes out um people should everyone should go see this film it's absolutely like so critical and so again it's called herself mm-hmm. it's not a, the best title but um, it's a very, very important story. Yeah, I always get teary when I see a woman's struggles as well because it just feels mm. so real. It just reflects know, the reality of the whole world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, how about you? What have you been watching this week? Uh, you suggested, well, you recommended me to watch The Unusual Suspect on SBS Demand yesterday. <laughs> I actually mm. binged the whole five, four episodes. Good, because it's night. so good. It's so funny right? and so good. I mean, when I first when I finished the first episode, I was texting my friend and saying that, oh, my mm. sister just recommended me to watch this um, Australian SBS production, The Unusual Suspect. It, it looks fine and it, you know, it's, it's a bit like a lot of American dramas, but it's funny as well. And then the more, then I continue to watch the second, third and the fourth episode. It's actually quite interesting the way that you know it reflects so much in the real society but at the mm. same time there's so many things that they the plots within the drama is very illogical as well like you think oh that's right. that's that would never happen in the real life yeah mm, not mm. not to the as far as i know mm. um how they actually played out in the drama it was quite interesting and specifically they have four filipino women um, mm. played um, some part of uh, main characters for this drama, which I think was yeah, really good. Yeah, which is good. so I – mean, Robert, they did yeah. it really well. Yeah, they did it really well. So they play um, cleaners for, like, um, rich people. Or nannies. Um, one of them, yeah, the main, one of the main characters is um, this woman called Sarah Beasley, who's played by Miranda Otto. And she's, like, this basically Australian Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> and she has a website that um, is kind of, like – wellness products and um yeah it's just it's so good i really like i usually don't watch australian productions or like i don't watch anything on sbs on demand even though they have they have awesome stuff on it but like when i saw that it's shot in sydney i kind of just really wanted to watch it mm-hmm. because it's like um like i i spent a lot of time in vaucluse and all those rich areas when i was teaching at Kambala a few years ago 
So all the scenes were so like familiar. Of, yeah, familiar <laughs> of that time for me. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. Yeah, it's really great. So anyone um, who, if you guys haven't seen it, get onto it. Anything else you've seen, Helen? Um, no, I finished. Re- I haven't see- watched anything apart from the usual suspect, but I've did finished uh, the book that you lent me, uh, Real Differences by S. L. Lim. Yeah, yeah it's really good. I I love they it. And, they yeah. are amazing. Oh, sorry. Yeah, they are a really amazing writer, and I loved how they wrote about the uncomfortable feelings that white people have when they're being called out about racism and mm. the denials that they go through. It's pretty much how I have I have experienced as well. Not just on mm. the racist mm. issues, also on the gender issues as well, regardless mm. with my close family members or my friends. That it's just a sense of helplessness, I guess, sometimes mm. uh, when you mm. call them out and they're like, no, that's not what I mean, or no, mm. I'm not a racist or I'm not a sexist. Mm. But on service, like what you see, they are actually they they are behaving or they speak like that because mm. they're trying to protect themselves i guess yeah mm. Mm. yeah well moving on to books i am drowning in them um which is my happy place mm-hmm. this week i looked at three books and i've mm. almost finished all of them um judith lucy's it turns out i'm going to be fine um which is like I'm listening to that on audiobooks and honestly, Helen, it's like six hours of, of stand-up. Wow, it's like six okay. hours of Judith. It, she's so funny, like uh-huh. every single line. Like I'm listening to it um, and I had my headphones all over like when I walk around the house and like I'm just like laughing, laughing out loud all the time. <laughs> yeah, because she's so good. And anyone who wants to pick me up, friggin' hell, you guys need to read this book. It's so funny. And she basically talks about all the kind of past shitty relationships she's had with men uh-huh. and how like she's realized it's like she's in her 50s now how she's realized like she's made her, her life of herself like diminishing herself because she so wants to be attract desired by men, by men yeah. which is something I just completely relate to. So it's like it's such a f- great funny read. Mm-hmm. Um, get onto it if you haven't. The other one is a serious book, Bree Lee's How to Be Smart, which mm-hmm. I'm almost done. Um, I'm, she's also like an ext- – she's just – She's not funny, but um, she, because the the book doesn't warrant that. It's a that. serious um, one, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a book about how um the way in which our society and its institutions are structured um in a way that only permits some people to access education and then the best yep. um sort of lifestyle, That's I guess. True. Ultimately, yeah. Uh, EY people usually. Um, And then finally, one of the best books I've read in the last six months is um, Kate Holden's Holden's The Winter Road, which is her third book. So I saw Kate Holden speak at the Writers' Festival Mm -hmm. maybe 10 years ago when I was at uni. And she was just coming out with her memoir, um, In My Skin, which is about her – when she was young, she was a drug – a heroin addict and she prostituted herself for for funds mm-hmm. um and it was such a beautiful book and and this is Kate's third book and it's about the killing of um Glenn Turner in um a 
in a place outside of Maury called Copper Creek. And he was killed by a man named Ian Turnbull. Because, um, so Glenn Turner was a compliance officer for the Environmental Protection Agency. And um, Ian, Ian Turnbull's family has had the land, like he was a crop farmer mm-hmm. for just about 100 years. And mm-hmm. he was really annoyed because he was being like, um, he was being, he was like clearing the land and clearing the vegetation. Like, and a lot of them were like native vegetation mm-hmm. and fauna and flora. And like um, koalas actually were just like, it should be like environmental protected koalas, area. Yeah, well, koalas were being sort of like their habitat was being destroyed, destroyed yeah. and uh, some of them were dying because of his actions. And um, he and um, Glenn Turner was the compliance officer who was like really, really on top of trying to make it stop. Mm-hmm. And um, Glenn and, and Ian Turnbull um, got to the point where he was so angry at um, Glenn that he actually shot him and killed him. Mm-hmm. This one on the news, and was it happened a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Was yeah, news, yeah, yeah. Oh, did you know? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I've never heard of this. I heard it briefly on the news, but I never really yeah. looked into it. But it's good to it yeah, yeah. out to be a book. Oh, yeah. is this fucking awesome? Like, um, Kate Holden is such an extraordinary writer. Mm-hmm. Like, um, the book really, like, captures so many different things in so well. Like, she talks about land and how um, the idea of land and what it means to Australians. And then she also talks about the legal side of, like, how, how difficult it is to prosecute land crimes because a lot of farmers don't actually think what they're doing are considered crimes, mm-hmm. you know. And, and like, um, every year the, the, um, there are new crops and new plants that are registered as, like, endangered mm, species. That's right. And so, yes. like, yeah, it's just – it's so – fucking amazing this book is incredible and I, I cannot highly recommend it enough to people who like i'm not really interested in anything agricultural you know but but this book is just so overwhelmingly well written that um i just completely cannot highly recommend it enough amazing so it's by kate holden and the book name is the winter road winter road cool let's take a break yeah yeah let's take a break and um, we're going to come back and talk about today's topic. Okay, guys, so we're back. In The Bold Type, which mm-hmm. is one of my favourite shows on Stan, one character, Alex Crawford, uh, a black male writer for a women's magazine, called out another male writer and another magazine mm. for past homophobic tweets. Now, that other writer was fired from his job. Subsequently, then he Alex is made to feel bad by another writer at his magazine, a woman named Sage, because she says to him one day, he's actually a really great guy. So the subsequent episodes has Alex trying to find ways for that guy to get his job back. And eventually he succeeds. But what I thought was really interesting was like the, the idea of what the etiquette today is for redacting past mistakes. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. I look back at my own history and I see mistakes too. When I was a kid, I heard my friends call each other faggots and it was just the norm, right? I used to say that's gay to say something that's lame. <laughs> and if I had a social media back then and I was a different person, like a slightly more brash and needy person, someone who needed online validation from strangers, I might have written something like the Australian rap music scene is so gay mm-hmm. or something like that. 
Well, so I'm wondering, obviously, um, just to make it clear, I, I don't use that derogatory term anymore because... Um, Consider inappropriate. Because that's now, not, you know, yeah. we know that that's just... Yeah, absolutely inappropriate. Uh, so I'm wondering this week, what does it mean to redact mm-hmm. and retroactively correct our past mistakes? And how do you manage that? What are you trying to do when you go back and address your mistakes? So Gia Tolentino says it's actually mm-hmm. um, a, a good thing to go back and correct yourself. Like she once said in an interview that hopefully in 10 years' time, she'll look back and read her writing and her views and realize how some of it was wrong. And she said mm-hmm. that that might actually be a sign of progress. So Helen, um, what do you think about all this? Like do you think in, in, in like we're going to – I'm going to look at three different um, big case profile cases now. But um, – uh, public apologies. Um, before I launch into my three profile discussions, do you have any general thoughts about like if you look back in your own past, how you have made mistakes and how you have retroactively tried to address them? Well, I think firstly, you got to think, how would you know that those are mistakes with without anyone telling you telling you it right. must there must be someone who came out and say that well that was inappropriate or that's mm. inappropriate now but he had i think there's different contexts um you have to consider whether or not certain statement was made years ago but mm. it was appropriate then but it's not appropriate now and people calling you out now you can either remove it or at the same time apologize for it that's fine but some people would just brush it off and saying that you know I still don't think that it was wrong and I'm staying my ground that I'm going to keep it as it is I think how much apologies that public wants from a certain people is very different depends on the context and of course the Mm. power dynamics as well you know, we have a lot of netizens that we're seeing every day from the Asian communities demanding apologies from a lot of racist comments made by white influencers, behaviors by white influencers, but they just don't care. Like you don't mm. get, you don't see a lot of responses from that. You don't see responses from white people who have, of course, obtained a lot of power that refuses to apologize because. It's a behavior to admit that you're wrong and they don't want to do that. Yeah. Mm, so I mm. think power, dynam- power dynamics plays a, a large part on the way you apologize, which is something that I will say a bit later between countries. Mm, and, absolutely. And it does concern about the position that we're in individually. Yeah. Mm. So I'm going to launch into the three main public profile apologies that mm-hmm. we're going to talk about today. The first one is probably something that everyone has heard of. It's um, Chrissy Teigen's attack on model Courtney Stoden from a few years ago. So for a bit of background, I think that everyone, most people know who Chrissy Teigen is. She is a sort of like model influencer. She's married to this guy called John Legend. Who cares? Mm. <laughs> um, and uh, so um, let's talk about Courtney Stoden, who I think is less well known. So Stoden is a 26-year-old American media personality, model, singer and songwriter. After competing a few beauty pageants in the, their home state of Washington, and they also call themselves they, they released an original music. 
So back in 2011, Stodon faced intense media criticism after marrying a 51-year-old dude called Doug Hutchinson. When and she was at, when she 16. was yes she yeah. was 16 years old when she married him so Stoden um claims actually that Hutchinson uh, who's an acting coach was mentally and emotionally abusive and had groomed and absolutely taken advantage of them and all of this while the public put the Stoden through the but much of the abuse of like having married a guy much older than older. her mm-hmm. So they actually separated last year. Mm-hmm. And um, a few years ago, Kusi Tien, um, she had sent, apparently according to Stoden, Stoden told um, newspapers that Chrissy Teigen wouldn't just publicly tweet about wanting me to take a dirt nap, but would privately DM me and try, tell me to kill myself. Things like, I can't wait for you to die. Shit. Yeah, which is like so fucked up. It's like who even goes to the effort of telling someone to die? Mm-hmm. Are you just bored? Mm-hmm. That's just so horrifying. Like she should. I'm not. I was gonna say she should go to jail for that, but um, obviously not. But um, but I'm just thinking like, does she have so much time that she would actually take moments out of her day to send someone something abusive so abusive comments? I know abusive notes. Yeah, I don't know what's the cyberbullying policy in US. Well, I don't mm. even know the ones in Australia, but I think mm, mm. you'll be able to report that if it's threatened in your life. I think so. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean by jail, jail, yeah. jail time. But I, I do wonder how much police do actually look into it because cyberbullying hasn't really been considered a, a very big topic I mean, we see it all the time, but it's something that people really that hardly brought it up because it's a manifestation through digital display. It's mm. not an actual physical harm. It's not like someone throwing stones at you when you're walking down the street. Mm. So a lot, mm. of, a lot of people who are not the victims of cyberbullying will consider that's not really harmful. But if you're being trolled like that, and I know a lot of influencers and podcasters or key point speakers that we know have been made made controversial or stood up to talk about something, they have been targeted by the trolls. I think you don't even have to do anything to be targeted. Mm -hmm. Like you can just exist in your own body (laughs) and and still be attacked. Yeah, like for instance, I've been looking at makeup videos by Madison Beer, who Mm -hmm. is this like absolutely drop-dead gorgeous singer, but she's also a model. And she was saying in her videos that she gets people, like she also gets hate hate mail Mm -hmm. from people. And I'm just like, Jesus, like people just hate women. And, like, going back to Chrissy Teigen, um, she actually also attacked Lindsay Lohan. So in January 2011, Twitter post, in a, on a Twitter post, um, Lindsay Lohan's mum, Dina, was refer- was saying that, um, that, uh, that Lindsay apparently had received a tweet from Chrissy that said, mm-hmm. that said this, she said, Lindsay adds a few more slits to her wrists when she sees Emma Stone. Jesus Christ. Which is, like, so weird and also, like, why, like, I feel like Chrissy Teigen must hate other women yeah. <laughs> to, like, say those kind of things. Well, she's in therapy herself, isn't she? If you make oh, that, that probably. kind of yeah. comments about someone else, like, mm. how much do you need to put others down to make yourself yeah. feel good? Honestly. Yeah. 
So the next um, major public apology is, of course, the one most people would also know of. It's the one by Justin Timberlake after he attacked, after the way he treated Britney Spears while they were dating. So a few months ago, um, Justin wrote on his Instagram post um, because he was addressing the criticism that he courted attention at Britney's expense following the te- the following her couple her breakup with him in two thousand and two, um, and then also roughly at that time was when Timberlake um, when Justin split with his boy band NSYNC and launched his solo career, mm-hmm. and during that time like Britney was really targeted as like the sort of slut while like Justin was this like innocent boyfriend who was cheated on um and so in the statement that uh, on instagram justin wrote i've seen the messages tags comments and concerns and i want to respond i'm deeply sorry for the times in my life where my actions contributed to the problem where i spoke out of turn or did not speak up for what was right Mm -hmm. i understand that i fell short in these moments and in many others and benefited benefited from a system that condones misogyny and racism He then goes on to say that the music industry sets men, especially white men, up for success and that he didn't recognize it for all that it was while it was happening in my own life. But I do not want to ever benefit from others being put down again. I can do better and I will do better. So that's the end of his apology. Um, Mm. What do you think about that? Well, did you say that this apology tweet came out early this year? Was it... Um, the apology was um, posted on his Instagram account w- roughly around February, which is a time I think February when when the Britney framing Britney Spears yeah. documentary came out. That's a bit suspicious when you have that kind of apology came out at the same time where the Britney Spears because a lot of people were commenting like uh-huh. uh, calling out to him saying you should come out and say something. Okay, so he didn't do it because he wanted to do it. He did. He did the apology because people are calling him out. Yeah, yeah, probably. I'd say uh. so. Yeah, and also like, um, how do you not benefit from, like, like the kind of entitled privilege? Yeah, privilege and all see... the benefits that you have as a white male, you know, in the industry. Mm. Like he doesn't ever talk about the actual steps he would take. In order to for things exactly. to change, you know. Yeah, I mean the apology tweet does sound sincere, but it's insincere if he's taking zero actions to improve the shittiness of the industry. Mm. Yeah, is he yeah, doing exactly. anything or is he just talking shit? You know. Yeah. There's no value well, we in his think, words. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's definitely the latter. Probably just talking shit. Um, and the last. Uh, apology, a public apology, is the most interesting one out of the three, I think. Mm-hmm. So um, last week, something very interesting happened in the US when it comes to like authors and books. So a very well-known, popular, best-selling author by the name of Ellen Hildebrand, she um, she was um, sent a couple of like most of her readers loves her love her new book. Um, it's a it's a book. Um, I don't remember what it's called, but it was published recently, mm-hmm. and she received one or two criticism um, by people um, attacking this one part of the book where two characters they're both female they are playing in a house and then one of them says go hide in the attic Mm -hmm. and the other one says um ha 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 like Anne Frank and they start laughing Mm -hmm. 
So um, these two cr- cr- people have come, like some people have said that um, the scene is really, really discriminatory and towards like Jewish, rude yeah. towards Jewish people mm-hmm. and Jewish history. Um, also, so so far as to say it was anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. And what Hilda Brand has actually ended up doing is she um, issued a public apology, and it's very sincere. And she also decided that in the future copies that the, that passage was going to be deleted. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the kind of precedence that that sets out for, for, for novelists in the past is really quite, like, new mm-hmm. because, like, um, I think it's, like, uh, Pamela Paul of the um, New York Times Book Review, she's with me in thinking that it's kind of ridiculous because, like, all the best characters, like, you can't literally, like, with nonfiction books, obviously you can change things um as new research comes up right Mm -hmm. but with non with fiction like what are we going to go through history and like erase all the mean things that characters say you know Mm. like that's impossible and also like if we did that we'd have to force the i think we'd have to force the entire norma mailer and philip roth estates to correct all their characters because their whole shtick is a kind of misogynistic protagonists Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Yeah, but I think it also depends on how recent that the fiction is being created. Like you said, that this is a relatively newly published work. Mm -hmm. So I guess readers have their right to give opinions. But at the same time that the writers, it really depends on their own characteristics if they want to change it. Whereas here... um, Hildebrand that she decides to change it I think that's a very big step to take definitely for someone as an artist to not to offend other people and Mm, in mm. doing so that you have to change such a big part of your artistic work you know compare this one Hildebrand and Justin Timberlake you can just you can just tell the differences in their apologies you know Timberlake taking no step of doing anything whereas the writer yeah. She has to ultimately change a big, you know, and I wouldn't so say a big part, but it's Im- yeah. probably an important part of the book, yeah. And it's so, in- yeah, because, like, um, it, it's it says something about the characters if they're, like, mm. playful and laughing like that. I, like, I'm not saying that joking about the Holocaust is playful. No, not at all. But I'm just saying, like, what is the precedent that this probably sets for a future characters and novelists writing, like, characters that, say discriminatory things like I, I can't think of any character that doesn't say something that's kind of un-PC you know like mm. for instance I'm thinking just off the top of my head now in normal people Sally Rooney's book there's a scene where her one of her boyfriends I forget his name like one of the asshole boyfriends she has kind of makes a comment about Asian people mm-hmm. like uh, Asian people and and it's kind of like making fun of Asian people and like that's racist like I can call that out and tell Sally really to like ask her to take that line down. Mm-hmm. But like I guess mm. I won't do that because I I mean I still hate that character and I, I think the character has a lot of racist views but like I'm not so offended as to like write to Sally Rooney's people and demand that that be taken out because I think a lot of people are like – yeah, you know, like it's a character. It's a, like it's a fictional, fictional character. character. Yeah, and it does reflect on the real society as well. I do wonder how readers taking in mm. the context of certain characters in the 
fiction. For example, we always have the hero and the villain. Perhaps that you know the two girls in the book they are leaning towards a bit more hero alike、mm-hmm. characteristics, or they're the positive characters, and maybe the readers don't see that they should have that kind of traits of being racist. That's why. Right, right. Whereas、yeah. you say in the normal people, we can see clearly that is a asshole boyfriend. He's the villain,、yeah. you know, in the yeah, sense yeah, yeah. of this context. So <laughs> he can make any racist or sexist joke that he wants, and、yeah. we know we predetermine that kind of conception about him. Yeah. Also,、yeah. in my own book, like my character of Mark. He's a racist. Oh、prick. yeah, and sexist and yeah, yeah terrible. Racist, yeah, like the most awful human being. And、uh, what are people demanding that I cut <laughs> that part of him out? I don't know. Um, but Helen, Helen, um, I um would love to hear your thoughts about the way in which public apologies and there's just the culture around apology differently operates um in different countries. Yeah, so I looked up for some uh a couple of research and also studies around uh apologies. We're seeing that the culture of saying sorry is definitely very different between West and the East.、Um, the, an article from Nikkei Asia on the Asian's culture of apologizing it says that in the West, corporate apologies are way too often transactional, informal, and involve saying whatever it is necessary in the short term to get the public to move on. And so this is from Bob Picard, a public relations expert who had spent years working in the Asian Pacific region. Well, the biggest differences he said between the East and the West corporate apologies is that the face dynamic. Executives may act differently depending on face circulation, and face often determines the cover story for Asian corporate apologies. Where blame laying signals are more difficult to decipher compared to talking responsibility ethos of Western corporations, so we see、uh, the most popular apologies will be from the Japanese. I'll say within Asian countries, they will have different angles of bowing to apologize. How like their sincerity <laughs> in apology? <laughs> yeah. Also, I'm interested to just bring up the apology. A culture in Taiwan, we always said this is this is me as well. Like we always said, 不好意思 Do you remember? As in, in the literal translation is excuse、yes. me. But when we say excuse me in English, we often want to get someone's attention or trying to ask、yeah. to make way. But whereas、yeah. excuse me, 不好意思 in Taiwan is like. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm troubling you now. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. apologetically signifying. Yeah. Oh, what I'm going to about to say, or my behavior next, is going to trouble you. Yeah, and also you're preemptively, pu- you're preemptively reducing your power in that exactly in that interaction. Yeah, saying I I'm just a subordinate here. Uh huh. That's right.、Um, and、uh, can I make a request? Yeah. So, a sociolinguistic professor of the Taiwan Teachers College, Li Qinan, he made a really interesting point. He said that Taiwan's apology culture has a strong connection with the period of Japanese colonization and the teaching of Confucianism. The 不好意思 excuse me, which is originated from Japan's sumimasen, has a similar meaning of excuse me. 
he and the other linguistic academics believe that this is a result of thousands of years of thinking of Confucianism, the core idea of being harmonious within a group rather than individualism. To maintain the togetherness of a society is the fundament of Taiwan, and often that the benefits of family and nation outweigh the benefit of individuals. Which means that you always place someone. Value higher than your own, or the value of a group higher than the individual. Yeah, exactly. I think it's very important for us as females. We need to look at the differences in the apology between、uh, females and males as well. Like you said, when you preempt that sorry, you're often showing that you're subordinate already,、mm, and、mm. it's kind of a lack of. Confident, like I do it all the time, which is really bad because we、yeah. grew up taught to be humble. Yeah, <laughs>、um, like to have or show low estimate of our own self worth. Yeah, exactly. Because we、yeah. don't want to be boastful. Yeah, yeah. That was like the worst thing ever. Like we were never taught to be prideful. Yeah, I know. Like our parents never said,、oh, "We're proud of you" or "Be proud of who、uh-huh. you are." It was always like, "Make yourself smaller. Make yourself、uh-huh. smaller." Yeah, I know. In Asian, I I guess I don't know about other Asian immigrant families, but that's how we grew up、mm. as. Yeah. And I was watching a TED video by Maya John, Jovanica, Jovanic, Jovanic. Yeah, she was.、Uh, she's an academic in the sociology. She said that woman and the apology has become like a habitual way of communicating. A lot of women start their sentences by "Oh, sorry," or when they're、yeah. trying to interrupt someone, or not even interrupting, they、mm. will start by saying "Sorry."、Mm. It just shows that you're diminishing your own confidence, and eventually will prescribe like kind of like a certain way of how people will think of you. Mm, mm. Yeah. And she did suggest, of course, there's all sorts of ways to change the way that you talk, or change your apology to thank you, you know, to own your own accomplishment, which is very different because men do that all the time, whereas women downplay our own self worth. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's really interesting, like learning about the ways in which、um, apologizing and the、mm-hmm. uh, idea, the concept of what a, a a genuine apology looks like. I feel also that, like, I remember a few years ago, I had,、um, I had this row with a ex boyfriend, and,、um, and like, I wanted he's he kept apologizing, but all of his apologies started with I, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did、mm. this, like, and it was very self centered,、mm-hmm. and like he he was a beautiful human being, like he's seriously. The most beautiful human being, one of the most beautiful I've ever met. But because he was like twenty one, um, he didn't know that the way in which he apologized actually just made him made me more angry because it was all about him, him. and him、yeah. needing to like get stuff off his chest.、Uh-huh. Like I, I feel like I I still don't know how to apologize very well. Um, I know that um one thing to say is actually saying I'm sorry is a really powerful thing. But then after what you、mm-hmm. say. After I'm sorry is like your actions. What comes after、yeah. is really what matters.、Mm-hmm. Um, your actions, but also like the words that you pick in in like try in like I think the emphasis should always be on the person who has been gr- aggrieved.、Mm-hmm. Like um and and for a while you need to put your for a moment you need to push your own needs aside and just address the needs of that person who has been hurt. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Yeah. 
I agree with that. And I spoke earlier about the power dynamics between the apologize parties. We've seen very recently that in the past couple of years, a lot of celebrities coming out to apologize, calling Taiwan a nation, which is Taiwan, it is a nation. I'm not going to be apologetic about it um, because they're worried that they will infuriate Chinese market calling Taiwan a nation. We've seen the very first one that I've mentioned in the Tiananmen episode, Zhou Ziyu, which she was forced to apologize uh, very publicly. She looked like she was reading a statement and she looked like almost being held hostage like, mm-hmm. by some kind of terrorist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think she was apologizing, waving a flag, a Taiwanese flag in one of her music videos. Mm-hmm. And very recently, we've seen John Cena, an American actor, apologize to China with his Mandarin speaking about that he made a big mistake, but he didn't say which one. But everyone knows that because in the earlier interview with the Taiwanese media company that he mentioned that Taiwan is the first country that you can watch his movie. So he right. acknowledged right. Taiwan as a country and then later mm. apologized in Chinese. I supposedly to the Chinese markets saying that, oh, he Mm. made a mistake. Um, Mm. So there's a power dynamic there that they were forced to apologize, but I'm I'm sure about their sincerity. They're doing Mm. it for the sake of their income rather than the moral values, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a wrap up for me. Anything, any final words from you, Helen? Oh, it's a it's an art. I think it's an art of communication. It's an art of um, how you value your moral status as mm. well in apologizing. Mm. Yeah, it depends on context as well. Yeah, mm, it really mm. depends on context. And everyone's value is different, and it's not easy to find a balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes time. Okay, so that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast uh, on Spotify, Google, and Apple. If you have enjoyed our show, please give us a five-star rating and share with your friends. Asian Bitches Down Under welcomes uh, listeners to support our show through ACAR Support Assistant. Your donation will help us to continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry. So that's it from us today. We'll chat to you next week. Yeah, chat to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you.